Welcome, everybody. You are listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we're so glad to be back with you for another week. Uh, last week, we did a little thing. We shared a uh, what, what I guess we'll call a deleted scene, which yep. was um, a little clip from one of our previous conversations, this one with uh, Raul Benitez. Uh, he talked a little bit about Fantastic Fest. He went to Fantastic Fest in Austin this past year, uh, right after the um, whole scandal with Devin Faraci and Harry, uh, Knowles. Harry Knowles, yeah, from Ain't It Cool News, and he gave us a little bit of insight into that. So hopefully, uh, you enjoyed that deleted scene. Uh, today, we're we don't have a feature presentation segment because we kind of want to do a little bit of a free talk. There's, uh, it's been a while since Connor and I have really just sat down and talked movies a little bit. So um, we're gonna have plenty more great guests. There's so many great people in the city of Chicago to talk to, but we can't get them all at once. So uh, we're gonna just take some time here and talk about some things that we're interested in in the world of film i guess uh this is still the hot topic it's it's harvey weinstein yeah and we've talked about it already connor i mean we everybody knows our feelings on it um we're glad that he's he's out since our the last time we talked about it he has been removed from the weinstein company expelled from the academy yeah the academy of motion pictures arts and sciences mm-hmm. And um, the Weinstein Company is basically up for sale. They're, like, done. Like, yeah. it's more or less over for the Weinstein Company. And he's also been put into counseling and whatnot after... In Europe. In Europe. <laughs> but he's also apparently just, say, like, not listening during the therapy sessions, derailing the counselor, and just saying it's all a conspiracy against him. Of so, course it is. So he's just, you know, hasn't learned his lesson, you know? He doesn't strike me as the type of person who really ever would. No. He's just kind of, when I guess his brain so uh, so deeply manipulated by his own power yeah. dynamic that he's pretty much a lost cause. I don't know. Uh, can you really make up for three decades of sexual abuse? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. You know, how do you, you don't unruin those people's lives. And. Obviously, as you said, Tom, we have kind of made our opinions clear on the matter. Um, but if there is one thing worth noting, it's just the sheer volume of response that there has been to this thing. Yeah, and the fact that uh, in the wake of it, a lot more people have been getting called out. A lot more people have been willing and ready to come forward and talk about their own experiences with Weinstein or with anybody in the industry at all. So. It just strikes me as kind of a, a big moment. Um, naturally, Woody Allen <laughs> d- yeah. decided to say, oh, I hope this isn't a witch hunt, talking yeah. about a guy that has been accused of sexual misconduct for also decades, but nothing's really happened. And talk about, like, after the New York Times article dropped, the, they had the New Yorker story that was written by his stepson. Yeah, Ronan Farrow. Ronan Farrow. Famous uh, MSNBC correspondent, former MSNBC correspondent, and uh, you know, son of Mia Farrow, and no, I believe he's the son of Mia Farrow and Woody Allen. That's his dad. I thought it was the son of Mia Farrow and Frank Sinatra. No, that's the rumor. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. (laughs) Somebody was telling me that. Somebody was telling me that earlier today. No, that's like that's kind of uh, a Hollywood legend that um ronan that ronan farrow is actually frank sinatra's son although there is nothing to confirm that i don't think they've ever done blood tests or anything like that but yeah no ronan farrow is woody allen's son all right for all intents and purposes um (laughs) but we'll see (laughs) yeah we'll see who gets what blood and does what tests he does have a he does have those beautiful blue eyes yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah he does but anyway uh yeah woody allen who is married to his uh adopted daughter yeah married yeah. to ronan farrow's <laughs> stepsister my god it's like i hope it's not a witch hunt okay what a response yeah i mean i, I really couldn't expect much less from woody allen and uh also on that note talking about filmmakers that are not uh weinstein but are also under fire uh, Quentin Tarantino, who many people know is very much a part of the Weinstein brand. Would you uh, say your favorite filmmaker? Yeah, I, I'd be willing to say that. Tarantino has been for a long time my favorite filmmaker. 
for better or for worse, and I know that that opens up a whole line of criticism towards me. I don't know what to tell you. My favorite is my favorite. He's he's my favorite, but it um he's always been very close with Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein uh, got him started with Reservoir Dogs and. They've been close ever since. Tarantino has made almost all of his movies with either Miramax or the Weinstein Company. Yep. And so after these allegations came out, he ended up sitting down with Amber Tamblyn um, and having this long dinner. And then Amber Tamblyn released in under her Twitter uh, Quentin Tarantino's statement on the whole thing in which he was like, you know, this is horrible. You know, I can't believe that, you know, this is like... Un- utterly disgraceful but but as always there's a guy yeah uh he said in a new new york times interview that uh quote i knew enough to do more than i did and we that that really hurt to know that quentin tarantino and it makes sense that he would be close enough to know about all these allegations and close enough to be privy to all of it because frankly from what i can tell all of hollywood was more or less privy to what was going on yeah it was one of those open secret sort of deals and it's I don't think all the blame can fall just on Tarantino, but the thing is is that Quentin Tarantino was so remarkably close to Weinstein that knowing about all of this and still doing nothing really is a pretty shocking. Yeah, especially, I mean, he's a director who is not, in all of his movies, he seems to be making constantly shocking statements about, you know, what it means to be able to make a movie. But then for Harvey Weinstein, not only for him to be such close friends to Harvey Weinstein, but Harvey Weinstein was interested and made advances towards his then girlfriend. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino was dating someone that told Mr. Tarantino, Hey, Harvey, it like, he's harassing me. He's doing all these things that he's been accused of doing. And Quentin Tarantino basically said, you know, boys will be boys sort of deal. He's like, ah, that's Harvey. Yeah. He doesn't mean anything by it. That's Harvey. And uh, that was really disappointing to know. And, you know, like when it there's something that I've been thinking about, and that's so was Quentin Tarantino also feeling the pressure of Weinstein's influence? Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, here's the thing. So one one side of me says, well, Weinstein, what we we know that Harvey Weinstein was wielding an incredible amount of influence and power in hollywood he also gave quentin tarantino his break so maybe there was some some sort of those power dynamics where harvey was like stick with me kid and don't ever betray me and quentin tarantino fell prey to that pressure and made him complicit in this sort of activity however after pulp fiction honestly quentin tarantino could have left at any point yeah and it would have made zero difference i think him staying with miramax and then with the weinstein company i think really was a choice of being loyal to harvey so where does the choice come in versus the knowledge and who's to know when quentin knew when he didn't know it's it's kind of nebulous yeah he didn't give any hard dates no and and also all of the things aside, just from a career standpoint, Harvey Weinstein was almost always successful. Right. He could take an indie film like one of Quentin Tarantino's and turn it into, you know, a blockbuster and a critical success. He can take sort of dry concepts like something like The King's Speech and turn it into a an you Oscar know, an winner. Oscar winner. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, it's at this point, we can only, it's only conjecture. It's only speculation. Would Quentin Tarantino's career have been the same if he had left Harvey Weinstein and been like, this guy is a predator? Who knows? We can, we will literally never know yeah. because it's too late. All the damage is done now. And there's really nothing that can make up for it. Uh, which brings me to the point of with Quentin Tarantino being one of like being my favorite filmmaker where and me having certain views on 
and stances on things like sexual assault, sexual harassment, any sort of sexual abuse, how do I kind of mesh these two ideas? Because I'm not going to stop liking Kill Bill or Jackie Brown or Inglorious Bastards. I just can't. Like, I can't. I love those movies. So is... At what point do I say the art is separate from the artist? Sure. And am I complicit in Quentin Tarantino's misdeed by continuing to support his films? That's a really tough question. Right? We (laughs) kind of ran into this uh, a couple episodes ago when I expressed that I was interested in seeing the new Jeepers Creepers movie. However, you brought up that the director was charged he convicted pedophile convicted pedophile i did not know that um right at the time and so it was something that the more that i at the time i said well i would just like to keep the positive uh you know association that i have with that from my childhood continue watching the movies and and can continue to enjoy them but after Something's i thought about stick it in your mind yeah after i thought about it for a while it just became more and more clear that like i can't I'm definitely not going to pay money to see this movie. I'm definitely, I probably, now I'm thinking I probably just shouldn't even see it or watch any of them anymore. Right. And the question comes up uh, a lot with these sort of things, especially, you know, in Hollywood. Casey Affleck, accused of sexual harassment and sexual misconduct, wins the best actor Oscar. Oh, yeah. Over... Denzel over Denzel Washington wins for Manchester by the sea and does he or does he not give a great performance in Manchester by the sea I would say yes I think he gives an absolutely award-winning performance in Manchester by the sea however are we now all complicit in saying that you know despite the fact that he's done something wrong that we're going to still celebrate his his other another part of him is it the whole package is it is is it a zero sum game here right is, is it, it all or nothing exactly that's the question i don't know it's either it's all okay or it's not okay and i don't know if it is necessarily that way i well it seems like the most pra- the more pragmatic approach would to say you can't necessarily uh, charge people for not all, you know, you can't necessarily, I don't know. It can't be so black and white. Yeah, it can't be so black and white. Not People are made up of many actions. Not all of them are agreed upon. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in They're this, not all proud, like, things you can drop pride Yeah. On. We've all done things that are not bad, not good, but are up to interpretation. And and we've all done things that are clearly bad and are clearly good that aren't up to interpretation that we don't get to change. If you do a bad thing, you can't make yourself undo the bad thing. You can try to apologize for it, which is what I think Tarantino is trying to do here by saying like, hey – I want to be honest and say I knew and I was ignorant and I did a stupid thing and didn't challenge. I didn't speak truth to power. I did not challenge the authority of Harvey Weinstein. And, uh, you know, I'm that was a huge mistake. And I apologize. Yeah. Even look at Kevin Smith, who hasn't worked with Harvey Weinstein since uh, Zach and Miri, which was a pretty long time ago. It was like 2007. Yeah, I think that was maybe 10 years ago. Um, 2008, yeah. Almost 10 years ago was the release of Zack and Miri. And they had a huge falling out then. And Kevin Smith was like, I'm done with Harvey Weinstein. And pretty much every story he's told about Harvey Weinstein in between then, none of them having to do with the sexual harassment or sexual assault allegations. But all of them being Harvey Weinstein is an asshole. Like... You know, he said that he is no longer going to directly benefit from this and any residuals he gets from any of his Miramax films, which includes like clerks, Mm -hmm. like his his big, you know, an important movie that made him uh, a big name and made him ostensibly a star. Pretty much everything up until Zack and Miri was, you know, put up by Miramax. 
and uh, he's like, I'm, any residuals I receive will now be donated to uh, cause supporting f- uh, female filmmakers. So, you know, at what point are you are you really atone? Really done? You're never really done atoning because people will bring, if, especially if you're a public figure, that's going to get brought up every day. You know, they're going to be like, yeah, but you know, Zach, uh, yeah, but Quentin Tarantino knew about it and he didn't do anything. I think what will help the situation or at least give a little bit more clarity on to what how people should be feeling about him and about you know how to separate the artist from the art is his response is his continuing action to to either help people like kevin smith has been doing and just Mm -hmm. try to bring some positivity into the situation in which he was more or less through complacency aiding harvey weinstein's violence yeah i think so and ultimately what it comes what it comes down to is that um Taran, you know Tarantino doesn't need to justify him he's not saying he's sorry to me he needs to justify himself and atone f- for the women that whose experiences he marginalized yep and for women out there who experience it not i mean not in hollywood just on a daily basis women experience this sort of um attack ascent i'm you know i'll call it an attack essentially he is being formally investigated by the lapd or the nypd for for rape okay so i this mean there it is week. yeah there it is you know things are happening here and he even said quentin tarantino says in this in this new york times article what i did was marginalize the incidents anything i say now will sound like a crappy excuse well at least he's self-aware enough to know that yeah (laughs) it's like uh i really hope that um ultimately the lesson is learned and at the end of the day i people can be i i think people can be like i'm never watching another tarantino movie again that is totally justified i think if you are just like you know what i can't be in support of someone that would be so uh ignorant that's that's fine. I think that's totally within your uh, purview. You know, that's well within your decision. Totally defensible. Yeah, I would never speak. I would never say um, that someone is wrong for believing that. However, uh, I don't think it's going to stop me necessarily because I I will try to separate the art from the artist. And I think I sometimes you have to give people a fair shake. Especially Quentin Tarantino, who may have also been under this like incredible influence of power um, and being pressured into ignoring these things. And frankly, being a product of a society that uh, teaches men to marginalize these experiences. There's that to consider as well. That doesn't make it right, but what it does is show... Like it, it, it shows the ingredients of the of the results. Right. It's like that ingrained boys will be boys kind of mentality. Precisely. And maybe he can learn, and we can all learn. You know, we as you know, as men can learn. Don't do this. Don't marginalize because it's wrong. And eventually, it people find out, and they're like, "Dude, we know that you've been playing this down." Right. And even if it's hard to talk about, you know. I yeah. think that's something that everybody could stand to get better at, you know, ripping the Band-Aid off and just facing the... Face the music. Face the music, yeah. And say and be willing to say, you know what, I think that I may have marginalized some people, some women's experiences in the past. And saying, like, the only thing you can realistically do from that point onward is just get better. Yeah. Is just get better at it. Uh, let's move into a little bit of box office. All right. Uh, let's talk about some movies that have come out, including the... Uh, so we're talking Boo 2. We're talking Boo 2. I'm a day of Halloween. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I haven't seen it. Um, it just premiered at the theater. Uh, oh, yeah. And it's, you know, not bad. Getting some laughs? It's getting some laughs. Some? It's, yeah. It hasn't been, it hasn't been <clears throat> huge. Uh, Happy Death Day has uh been interesting because that opened last that opened last week, I believe. Yeah. You saw that, right? I did. And I thought it was, I think it's pretty fun. Like, shout out to Blumhouse for just kind of killing it on doing what they do best, which yeah. is, like, medium to low budget horror films that people just friggin' enjoy. You know, people are just having a good time with it. Um, what is Happy Death Day? It's like Groundhog's Day, but <laughs> they die 
or something. Yeah, so <laughs> the premise, if you don't already know, uh, if you don't already know, the premise of Happy Death Day is there's a young sorority girl and uh, she keeps getting killed. And much much like, uh, what's it called? Much like, as you said, Groundhog Day, yeah. she keeps waking up in the same day. Every time she gets killed, she wakes up at the beginning of the day. So it's it's the and i will say that point the fact that it is just like groundhog day is not lost on the writers at all no. let me just say that and you'll know what i mean like it's not lost on whoever wrote this movie or for your contemporary audience naked with uh <laughs> marlon wayans it wait is that a groundhog day situation movie except I, he's naked every day he wakes up naked which is, you know, a nightmare. That's the that's the premise. That's of the, the premise movie. of naked. Yeah, it's like well, his wedding day when he's naked and he just keeps waking up. Keeps waking up, just buck naked, buck naked. Love it. What what originality? I love it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tyler Perry. Open uh, Tyler Perry's Boo Two, a Medea Halloween, <laughs> has opened. Um, Can you just say that again. Tyler Perry's Boo Two, a movie. <laughs> I don't well, know the first why. one's called Boo, a Medea Halloween, so this... Would you... Okay, that's a question. <laughs> would you call it Boo 2, a Medea Halloween, or Boo, a Medea Halloween 2? See, that's a good question. Right? Yeah, I don't know. I, I These would are the questions that we need to be... Well, I would... I, you know, and this is just, in my humble opinion... Yeah. The Boo 2 does have a ring to it. It does. Boo 2. But, like, is it more accurate... To say Tyler Perry's Boo a Medea Halloween two. Where where do where we draw it, the line? These are the questions we need to be levying against auteur directors like Tyler Perry. I will say that I do appreciate Tyler Perry. Yeah, I think it's great that these movies get made because, like, you know, as we, as we saw with Girls Trip, like people these, love them. People love them, and these the they perform super well. And like for once, you know, we're getting comp. Was it? Pardon me. Comedies for a uh, for for a specific audience. Like it's nice that the only option for comedies aren't like you know uh, Will Ferrell shit. Yeah, and you know indie like it's not ugh. just the same type of comedy that's being repackaged in waves. You know, I guess so. Yeah. So I mean, one can make the argument that Tyler Perry just kind of does the same thing over well, and over. Well, yeah, again. he does, but, but it's for he, a specific audience. Yeah, like he you reaches said. he reaches his audience. You know, and really at the end of the day, they're pretty heartfelt movies. Yeah. They're nice. They have a good message generally. So you know, more power to them. Super successful. <laughs> Super successful. Super sexful. Is there a sex scene in Boo 2? I, I can only imagine. And it's between Tyler Perry and himself. <laughs> uh, next, Geostorm. Uh, Dude, I... Dean are, Devlin's. Yeah, I can do disaster movies, though. <clears throat> I haven't seen... I mean, if it's anything near the quality of Armageddon... Listen, it's a little tone deaf, though, isn't it? How do you mean... Being released after the two hurricanes, oh, isn't that just sort of like maybe I just guess so? Maybe. They kind of just you know, <laughs> is there any is there ever a good time to release a disaster movie? Maybe not when there's just like you know, I guess lives being ruined. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Although I guess that does happen. That's a good point. I guess that's uh, I don't know. Time, so. I mean, it opened to it opened on Friday. These are just the estimates. Uh, Four point three million. Tyler Perry opened to seven point four million, um, which is paling in comparison to uh, Happy Death Day's opening of really? like yeah, Happy Death Day opened to like three. Here, let me let me see if we can um, pull up last last weekend here. Cut this out of the episode because I know that. So Happy Death Day. There, let's see. Um, it's opening weekend opened at twenty six million, wow. and we're not even at the end of the weekend here for, uh, for Tyler Perry. Ty- both both Perry, both Boo Two and Geostorm opened below Happy Death Day last week. And like Boo Two is scheduled for like what twenty three point five. Sure, it's probably something like that. It'll most likely be a modest hit. It'll yeah. get the audience that they were shooting for. Um, 
Only the Brave opened at number four, and that's the one I, th- I believe is about firefighters. Yeah. Oh yeah. With which is again, I mean, is it tone deaf or is it like? Excellent. That Geostorm or Only the Brave? Only the Brave. So Geostorm is about natural disasters controlling the weather. Only the Brave is about wildfires and firefighters. Oh, yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, in California, it's literally burning. Yeah. Like, is that tone deaf or is it like genius because it's on people's minds and this might give them an insight into the life of a firefighter? I don't know. Specifically with Geostorm, though, I know that they did not do a uh, preemptive like screening for critics. Because of the hurricanes. Well, that's also generally a marker of, like, this movie is not going to be great, like, so we're not going to do an early critic screening so we can prevent any sort of influence from critics. Yeah, okay. Movies do that all the time. That's fair. I'm guessing, I mean, they could have done it under the guise of, like, you know, the hurricanes, blah, 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 which is fair. I think that would be a very tactful move. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Probably just not good. No, no, no. I want to talk about one movie, uh, The Snowman. <laughs> Fastbender's uh, magnum opus. Final, yeah, another nail in the uh, increasingly nailed coffin. It's so weird that Fastbender keeps taking these, like, kind of, like, why is he taking these roles? Why is he taking so many? Yeah. I mean, he was, like, it, it really confused me when they said, oh, he's going to be in Assassin's Creed. Like why? Yeah, <laughs> what? Really? I he's mean, so talented. Why I know he, he was the... doing the X Men movies, and he he's done a pretty good job at that. But it's like you don't really need to do that, Michael Fassbender. I feel like he's gone from being like really prestige actor to kind of getting into like pulpier, yeah, a little weirdly pulpy territory yeah. where he doesn't need to be. He's been in some absolutely incredible movies. And yet he's doing stuff like The Snowman. Now, The Snowman is based on a best-selling book, and this is the kind of movie that generally would do pretty well. But something very funny that came out of it is that uh, it was revealed that about 10 to 15% of the script was not filmed. Yeah. they And, and <laughs> you just have to read it because I read this interview with the director. And he said that, oh, yeah, so what happened was basically we got the green light so quickly and they were just like, go ahead, shoot the movie like we needed to be done by this day that move shooting in North. They were shooting in Norway and they shot it just so quickly that by the time they got to the editing room, they're like, oh, my God, we literally didn't film some of these scenes. <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, they we just got, forgot. We got to the editing room and we were just like, oh, my God, we like literally are missing pages of this script. <laughs> Holy Christ. Really? <laughs> I know it wasn't like a big production. I don't I don't let me uh, look into the budget here. But how could you make a yeah, production budget of thirty five million dollars yeah. <laughs> and you forgot? <laughs> <laughs> You're just like in Norway dicking around and they're just like, well, we got to get to London and do the rest of it. And they're just like, okay, well, let's just go. Let's just leave. I mean, it's it's there's something to be said that, um, you know, um, that you just move so quickly. And sometimes it just seems like Hollywood just wants to churn out movies at some point. They're just like, just fucking take thirty five million dollars and get it done by get it done by this day. And we'll be fine. Who? What is the production company that's doing this? It's like a Universal film. <laughs> Welcome to Universal. Well, You're yeah, greenlit. <laughs> yeah. Universal produced this movie. Here's $35 million. Just make something happen. Uh, I want to point out the incredible... Like, So the reviews have been terrible. Yeah. Reviews D on CinemaScore as yeah, well. Absolutely. And I want to shout out to uh, Katie Reif of the AV club who gave the review, who did the review of the snowman with possibly the greatest headline for review I've ever seen. <laughs> the snowman's main character n- is named Harry hole <laughs> and it only gets worse from there. <laughs> ah, what is, know. is Michael Fassbender? The He's Harry, Harry hole. <laughs> the Harry hole. Wow. That's unfortunate. <laughs> I just love that. The snowman's main character is named Harry Hole, and it, it only gets worse. From- <laughs> I, th- I feel like the thing with Michael Fassbender is maybe he is he is a prestige actor, or at least that's what I, my perception of him is. Maybe sure. he thinks he is a prestige actor, and thinks maybe more so than he actually can be. Because the thing with, like, 
him taking the role in Assassin's Creed. When was the last video game movie that was made that was more than just a cult hit? Right, like yeah, Mortal Kombat, probably literally none, and none of them have been good, and none of them are ever good. Yeah, no. maybe they're cult hits because they're bad. Yeah, and, and, fun, and that's a but, whole a whole nother. <laughs> but maybe maybe he thought that he could sort of breathe life into you know a type of movie that has been so challenging historically. Well, I mean, the Snowman is kind of should have been like a surefire medium hit. Because it's based on a book, it's, it's a horror, like yeah, it, well, it's, comedy. Well, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, Harry, it's a porno. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like okay, it's like you know, make an adaptation of a of of a John Grisham novel. It's gonna be medium good. It's gonna at least make a hit with people who are super into that sort of thing. That sort of like crime you know thing like the girl on the train i'm guessing they thought they were maybe going to get into girl with the dragon tattoo territory yeah with being but the thing is is that that was directed by david fincher written by steve zalian and based off like a pretty incredible book so i don't know there's and the thing is is that this movie does not have a bad cast it really doesn't michael fassbender jk simmons and uh everyone's favorite batman val kilmer yeah all show absolutely. up in this movie uh i guess they just it was half-baked is what uh is what katie rife has to say about it she says it's a half-baked script delivers tenfold on the poster's promise of just having heads on snowmen I guess she gave it a D. Yeah. Which is at least, hey, maybe um, something. You might get some amusement out of Harry. <laughs> I was I was fighting back laughter a minute ago because it was just, the name was like echoing Harry through my Harry Hole. Harry Hole. It's just like haunting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the snowman. Definitely avoid that one. Meanwhile. So, listen. Yeah. We got the box office here. You got your geostorms. You got your, uh, you know, you got your snowmen. <laughs> you got your snowmans. But if you're going to go to the movies and you're going to really, and you want to support something, might I suggest something called The Florida Project? Right. Sean Baker. Mm-hmm. Director of Tangerine. Yep, director of Tangerine. And um, it's got Willem Dafoe in it. It's supposed to be pretty hilarious it's supposed to be heart-wrenching as well and very just heartwarming ultimately mm-hmm. and um i don't know about you but i've always wanted willem dafoe to have sort of like a role of a lifetime kind of movie and from the reviews that i've read about this book or rather this movie it this seems is it. like this could be it for him yeah and that's what I'm hoping. I remember when I saw the trailer, I was just like, wow, this is Will- a Willem Dafoe we haven't seen in a while, at least, or if if we've seen him at all. Because I guess for you and I, we grew up with Willem Dafoe being like weird dude. I yeah. think for a lot of people, everybody. Like Spider-Man. Up, yeah, he's or, uh, the Green Goblin. Green Goblin, yeah. And uh, he even an American psycho. He's like a very, he's always just been a very irregular dude. Like yeah. that's kind of his thing. And maybe this is it. Like. I think he's always been a very well-respected actor. Seeing Willem Dafoe on a poster makes me want to go see a movie because I'm like, okay, there might be a pretty good performance here. And um, he did have a little, a strange resurgence with being in John Wick. And he didn't even have like a massive role. He was just in John Wick. And people are like, oh yeah, shit, Willem Dafoe. That's awesome. Finally, Yeah. So it's, I think it's the type of movie we haven't really seen him in before. And isn't that fantastic that one, he's willing to do that. And two, he's willing to do that with a director. That's like, he's, he's young. He's getting just kind of really getting started. He did already have a claim with Tangerine, yeah. but this is only a second pick. I think this is only a, sec- a second picture. So shout out to Willem Dafoe <laughs> for being willing to take a chance on a movie that is about, kids living outside of disney world in florida and this kind of like seedy apartment complex yeah so i i'm very interested to see i'm actually planning on seeing it later today uh very excited um you know 
it's go out and support these movies yeah. if you're tired of things like the snowman yeah. <laughs> take a chance on something because you never know if you're going to uh you never know if you're really going to enjoy it you never know uh connor i wanted to ask how's the whole 30 days of halloween going i so i've fallen a little bit behind um, it's tough <laughs> it is tough watching a movie every day it does not sound like it should be that hard but and that's something i try to do just baseline like if i could be doing if i have nothing to do i'll like i'll watch a movie yeah you try to fill your time with something that's worthwhile yeah. movies are usually a pretty safe bet but maybe it's some it's almost like being forced to read a classic novel in school or something yeah when you make it, it homework every day yeah and it's like homework it just can become a little tedious what have you watched so far that you've really enjoyed so i haven't even really stuck to my list all the way i watched hostel which was not on my original list um Eli Roth's Hostel which I thought was it was okay the script and some of the performances are not going to age well and they no. already don't <laughs> and it's just like overly broy and makes me kind of want all of the characters to die yeah. so <laughs> so there's that but then also um I remembered it being a lot gorier or I remember being a lot more disgusted by the amount of gore in that movie yeah and I don't know, I guess I've just turned into like a cold husk or something because it was not as you. terrible as I remember <laughs> it. Yeah. But then I followed that up with uh, the Korean horror film The Host. I love, I mean, we talked about it before. I love The Host. Yeah, it was really good. I had never it's seen so it. so good. Yeah, it was great. And uh, hilarious as well. Yeah. It's like really funny. That movie is one that really manages to, that's like the type of monster movie I want to see where it's like, yeah, the monster's there, but they're like... The monster is a metaphor for things, and really, you want to be connected to the people in the in the movie. The premise is also so surreal, like the very beginning, where they're like pouring formaldehyde, like, yeah, <laughs> uh, tainted formaldehyde, or like expired formaldehyde down the drain in a U.S. base. <laughs> He's like, "Listen, the the Korean guy is like, shouldn't we not do this?" And then the American guy is like, "Listen, we got those bottles of formaldehyde. They're either going to sit there." and melt through the floor or you're going to pour them down the drain so start pouring and then yeah. <laughs> that's it that's the whole like uh what that's the whole like facade for the that's how the it movie. starts yeah. yeah and i think it's interesting that they like the filmmaker definitely recognizes the u.s presence like they're always there but never doing anything yeah exactly. like they're only f just kind of fucking everything up that is something I notice about Korean cinema. It usually has a really dark plot, but great sense of humor. Like in Old Boy, yeah, the humor in that is is great. They have and a they have a it. very they have a very great sense of humor in Korean cinema. Yeah, I think yeah, South Korean cinema is very interesting, very uh, influenced by like revenge. Like it's enti an entire subgenre of South Korean cinema is like revenge movies yeah that's like the thing so um and that's where you get like old boy yeah, yeah. that's part of that that subgenre. um great choice though i love the host i think the host is great and then one more that i watched recently which i think is cool to talk about was uh cronenberg's the fly oh jesus Christ. which is an awesome example of a movie that was a remake or a reboot or whatever and it's better than the and original. it's better than the original oh yeah they, I mean, it's such an original vision. It's so Cronen Cronenberg like. People like Cronenberg. People like Carpenter with the thing. You know, they just yeah. they love the source material, but they're just like, yeah, I'm gonna do this my way, and we're gonna make it my way instead of just kind of rehashing what what already happened. I mean, think of how many remakes you've seen that are just more or less the same movie. Like Carrie, Old the, Boy, Old Boy. Oh, geez, and I love I love Spike Lee. Yeah, I think Spike Lee is a great filmmaker, which conf and he's he's an incredibly learned filmmaker in the sense that the dude knows everything. He never does things that are unintentional, and he knows so. He is a scholar of film. He really, really is. Like, and do the right thing when he gives the speech about the two, um, the big rings he has on his hands, the story of love and hate. That's a reference to Night of the Hunter. 
like that a, a film from like 19 i want to say like 50 1957 like a southern noir classic and it's wow. the exact same thing the story of love and hate and he does that on purpose because spike lee is just that type of person he loves to pay respect to the movies that he loves which is why i thought old boy was kind of strange in that it didn't feel like he if it didn't feel original it didn't no. feel like spike lee really putting his his spin on it because he totally could have i think he totally could have it seemed overly stylistic or overly stylized, rather. Yeah. I don't know. It Maybe just... he walked away with the wrong lessons from Old Boy. Maybe he... I don't know. I And I'm to, far be it for me to criticize Spike Lee. The dude's sure. great. He makes great movies. That said, the American Old Boy, it's... I'll You're never watch it. Yeah. I'll, I'll never watch it, but I will I will continue to rewatch the Korean. Yeah, the, the Korean Old Boy is, is fantastic. Um I wanted to What have you been watching, Tom? Oh, man. Uh, That brings me to this point. So I watched Psycho recently. So I watched Psycho. I watched Halloween really recently. How did those hold up? um, Psycho is just so friggin' timeless. Yeah. Like, there is just... You just get pulled right in. And, you know, what they do with the narrative what hitchcock does with the narrative still feels pretty fresh with killing marion crane within the first third like within the first hour i think that's like the hour mark is he kills marion crane that's that shower scene yeah and it's just crazy to think about it's like even now even though like psycho is literally ingrained into the american you know culture everybody knows the weep 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 like the shower shower scene i don't think people have a lot of people have kind of not watched it at all or haven't watched it in a long time and don't realize the narrative significance of killing your main actress halfway through the movie no because imagine what that does like what that does to the whole story is wait so where does this go next does he get away with it like does he just kill her yeah and that's it like it was so brilliant for hitchcock to do that and um i really you know it still feels super fresh anthony perkins destroys the role he just abs- i don't know how anybody else could ever think of being norman bates yeah even in the show bates motel which is a show that i enjoy um that was fine yeah freddie highmore i mean he does a kind of a different take but he's still trying to be anthony perkins yeah. and dude you just you, that's that kind of performance is once in a lifetime once in a lifetime you get someone who really just crushes the role and so it was great to watch um halloween i don't i don't know if it was i was in the wrong mindset i was watching it like in the morning i like to watch movies in the morning a lot because i'm awake i'm very like attentive you know i've got my coffee get your coffee I, get, get your my slippers on get my slippers on i got a big stogie <laughs> <laughs> and i got a big stogie and all the windows are closed oh and you know the girlfriend she's like why do you need to smoke in here and i'm just like because i have nothing else (laughs) uh but watching halloween i think it's still really great and i think that there's a lot to take away from it i just like was not scared at all like there was psycho i felt suspense halloween i was just kind of like well, Halloween like, is I get, strange. I just get the significance. It's like, you know, do you ever watch a movie and you're just like, I know this is culturally significant and I can feel it, but I can't feel, right. I can't get past that and just engage with the movie. Well, it's something that you've seen so many times. Yeah. And so that's it's been deconstructed. Slasher, yeah. It's been deconstructed to the point of like obliteration. Yeah. Basically. Can we like, get a... a that's that's what I want to ask you is can we ever have another great period of slasher movies? Is the slasher dead? Oh, that's interesting. Cuz what's the last movie you saw that was like a slasher that you were just like this is awesome? Cuz even Happy Death Day, which is <clears throat> technically a slasher, plays on the trope. Yeah, it's it's got to be self-aware, right? After, I mean, like, honestly, the last great slasher that I think really got made I'm was Scream. Scream, yeah. Was pretty much Scream. And that is and a that parody. Is, yeah, it's a, it's a, a deconstruction yeah. by one of the kings of the slasher genre. Yeah, Wes Craven. Yeah. And so do you? can we ever really get back to this kind of genuine fear of killers and psychopaths? Man, that's really a really interesting question. I think that it's, I think it's possible, but I... Th- 
you're going to have to get a creative mind behind it more than just somebody who wants to chase teenagers around with a knife or something. You well, know? we do have this new Halloween coming out in 2018, 2019. Yeah, and I wanted to mention that as well because the premise for the film is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's going to be a direct sequel to the first Halloween. It's going to ignore two through uh, I, H20. Infinity? Yeah. <laughs> I think the last one was H20, yeah. H2O, <laughs> Halloween 20 years later, which is so fucking terrible. Fucking God. But it's great to watch. I think it's fun <laughs> to watch because uh, the Halloween series really built up this weird mythology yeah. that we're like, I'm pretty sure at some point uh, they reveal that Mike Myers is Laurie Strode's brother. Like, like I don't know. It's and he's very just like, they, there's like a cult, yeah. right, that is like obsessed with him. It's bizarre. This one's going to be, uh, this new one's going to be directed by David Gordon Green, who you may, uh, you may know from Pineapple Express, um, which is interesting. What is John Carpenter's involvement? I think he is... He's attached to it. I don't know if he's currently on the on IMDb. He's listed as an executive producer. Okay. So the fact that he's involved at all, it makes me feel good because I want to see John Carpenter still involved with this series, which he hasn't been involved in probably since. And he was realistically only doing the music uh, by by Halloween three. I don't know if he was involved in like Halloween Four, The Return of Michael Myers, or Curse of Michael Myers, whichever one that was. I would love for him to at least be a part of the scoring of the movie. Oh yeah, I guarantee it. Because he's still pretty heavily involved in music, he just hasn't done movies in years. Yeah, he he released over the last few years. He did Lost Themes One and Two, which is a collection of like just pieces he did and they were great um he's got the john carpenter anthology coming out which is a collection of his themes from like a lot of his most famous movies halloween the fog uh assault on precinct 13 um so writing credits though is interesting because david gordon green the director and danny mcbride oh yeah i saw are are both writing the screenplay or have written the screenplay as as it were which is interesting because i've always thought that we all know that horror and comedy kind of mix really well together yeah and it's because the anatomy of a scare is very similar to the anatomy of a joke which is their setup it's all set up and payoff it's all set up and payoff so maybe it'll bring halloween back to prominence I mean, that's that's not to say that the Rob Zombie ones were fairly successful. Yeah, but they were they were just a very bizarre take. Yeah. They were a very different take. I think the first one was really the the only one that was really successful. But his Halloween two was not super big. See now, now you have me thinking about how can a slat. I would love to see a slasher movie that's like an earnest slasher film that could almost, if it could ignore the deconstruction that has happened to the genre. I would be very interested to see if that could be executed in any shape or form. I guess so. I mean, that's the that's the thing is like we have to get this return to earnestness, this return to earnest scares. And I think Get Out kind of did that like it yeah. took itself seriously it i was not, thinking about that as well yeah it had humor i think all horror mo- movies have a, a modicum of humor in them yeah even the ones that present themselves as very serious like there's something like over the top humorous about like like something like the devil's rejects is like so over the top and so like brutal yeah that it's almost funny like I don't know. But as you said, we, yeah, a return to earnestness, getting past this deconstruction that's happened to the genre. And maybe we can get back into, you know, being afraid of slashers again. Yeah. It's a really interesting question, though. Um, and we'll have to leave that to a wiser mind than I. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I have high hopes. Yeah. But watching, I'm glad I watched Halloween. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, there's been a lot, a lot of great stuff to watch, and it's been, as you said, hard to keep up. Is there anything that you're going to watch in the next couple of weeks um, God, that I you d- are sp- particularly looking forward to? I mean, or? I'm going to revisit Texas Chainsaw, yeah. even though I watch that movie a lot. I watch Texas Chainsaw and Texas Chainsaw 2 um, fairly frequently. I'm That's always a movie that I can rely on to to entertain me to no end. 
I do want to bring up a question that you asked on Facebook oh, yeah. um, that I thought was really great. So Connor texts me one day and he's just like, Tom, what is a horror, a non-horror movie that scared you the most? What non-horror genre movie scared you the most? Uh, my choice was The Act of Killing, mm-hmm. which is a documentary about genocide and this guy who committed genocide. Uh, Connor, your selection? The Green Lantern. <laughs> it, was be- it was between The Green Room or Green Room and The Green Lantern. And you went with Green Lantern. And I had to go with Green Lantern, Tom. Why? And I'll explain why. Uh, first of all, take a look at the budget that uh, was required to produce this movie and it's just a horrifying movie to watch for somebody that i had never really followed a lot of comic book heroes uh the green lantern was was definitely one of them because the whole aspect of finding like it was sort of an interesting tie-in with science fiction and uh soup and uh, like the superhero mythos that i've always gravitated towards particularly Mm -hmm. science fiction um and to see the just just to see like ryan reynolds be the green lantern in general kind of pissed me off and then just to see the movie how cartoony it was and just it was horrifying (laughs) it was a horrifying terrible moment for me going in expecting one thing and then just like being on the architecture tour and then having the Dave Matthews tour bus pull up on top of you. It was just like <laughs> shitstorm, you know? <laughs> wow. Uh, I mean, it's pretty accurate, I guess. That's a pretty... I, I hated that fucking movie. Yeah. So bad. Um, let's go to some, some answers that we got from you, the listeners. Uh, Mike said, Requiem for a Dream. He's, uh, he gave a very good description. Ellen Burstyn's portrayal of a drug-induced psychosis was disturbingly realistic. The thought of being trapped in my own mind, not knowing what is real and what is not, has always terrified me. I agree. Requiem for a Dream is definitely... That's a great choice. It's scary. Yeah. It's scary. Especially, Especially the ending. Yeah. When you and when you engage in it on that level, like putting yourself in the character's situation and that empathizing is really a weird thing to yeah. experience. The mother's character, yeah, Ellen Burstyn, really, her, yeah. yeah, that really, that was something that really truly, truly something else. Uh, we had Armageddon. That's from Brandon. Brandon said Armageddon. As a kid, the thought of the planet being destroyed by an asteroid scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Still does. Agreed, yeah. I mean, especially if you put yourself in that situation, like, man, if you really get in, I like Armageddon. And me if too. you really get into Armageddon, <laughs> it's, it's, it is freaky. Like, oh my God, how would the planet actually respond if there was a giant you know asteroid coming to hit us would they send up a team of oil drillers yeah and i reiterate ben affleck's question how is it easier to train oil drillers to be astronauts than to train astronauts to drill to drill into a fucking meteor listen ben shut up shut the fuck shut the fuck up which is actually what michael bay said to him yeah he he says in that commentary that he did that like he he kept asking michael bay about it until michael bay was just like ben shut the fuck up like (laughs) i don't care um let's see let's see peewee's big adventure from dave yeah okay that's a freaking isn't there the bit where um the, there's like he gets a hitchhike he get hitchhikes with someone and there's like this crazy like ah like yeah. Tim Burton scary the, moment the character of Pee Wee Herman it's like it's yeah it's it's unsettling it's uncanny it's and I used to love Pee Wee's Big Adventure as a kid and then when I go back and watch it I'm like this dude is freaky he's just acting like a child yeah. all the time like it I don't like it and he's got all the makeup on and stuff too yeah. it's just yeah. he looks he looks so. I don't even know how to describe the way that it makes me feel. It's insane. Yeah. It's an insanely Uh, (laughs) stylized movie. Uh, Here's here's one from Caleb, uh, Small Soldiers. Oh, yeah. And you had a great response to this. Yeah, this was great. Okay, so I watched Small Soldiers a couple months ago. Oh, I remember. Yeah, and I I did a pretty uh, lengthy social media uh, post about it because it totally inspired me. While I was watching it. So, Small Soldiers, it's about a family, the father in which owns a toy shop or a toy store. (laughs) 
in the movie, the kid works at the, the, the child. He yeah. works at the toy store for free and sort of has this strange relationship with the delivery man, like the post office worker that comes and delivers the toys to the store. So while I was watching this movie, it sort of unassumingly has this kid working at his dad's shop alone, unboxing all of these toys or whatever. And this is something that you would just not really think about, I think. You would just be uh-huh. like, oh, the kid's, you know, helping out his pops. It's cool. But the more that it, the more that the movie goes on, you find out that the toy store is failing, that the dad is sort of struggling with it, and that he's going to go to a conference in order <laughs> to help his... The name of the conference is How to Run a Successful Small Business. And he's letting his kid run the shop (laughs) while he's gone at this fucking conference. And at the end of it, after his house gets destroyed by the small soldiers, he gets an insurance check, which basically saves the day, allows him to continue running the shop, exploiting his son for free labor, apparently, and he never really learned anything. (laughs) And that is just like the festering heart. Of in small the middle soldiers. of small soldiers. <laughs> well, okay. Let me uh, let me go into so if and I'm not also, mistaken. One okay. more thing. Just one Fine. quick more thing. I think we all know who the real father figure in that movie is. And I'm talking about the post office worker. Yeah. Who who so irresponsibly gives that kid the the war toys. Yeah, that's true. He's like, because he's getting the test. He because his his dad won't sell them. He doesn't like war toys. Yeah, he likes happy toys. He likes you know trains and shit. And the kid is like, well, just like give me a couple of them. Like, let me just get a get like a tryout. Skim a few off the top. Skim a few off the top. Old man fraud. (laughs) (laughs) So there's another thing fraud, and you know they end up going crazy because they have these weird chips in it. I want to say, though, that with the check at the end, that's from the company. They give him, like, like a million, like millions of dollars so he never has to worry ever again in right. his life. Yeah, it's he, not it's, insurance. But yeah, it's, but it's, it's from the company that made the toys. Yeah. Fucking David Cross. Yeah. <laughs> we see you. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, I will say this. For people who live in a family where they have a small business – generally that's what happens like the kids do work in the store yeah for free like but it's there's just some crazy cognitive dissonance there where the kid is running the store while the dad is at home getting ready to go on the plane to a seminar called how to run a small business yeah i would say that's the weirdest part is and he forgot the tickets in the fucking toy store like (laughs) what does it get your life together man (laughs) It does seem weird that that's like, oh, man, I need to learn how to run this business better. Quickly, 14-year-old son, like, take <laughs> the over for the day. Yeah. <laughs> Fill out these orders. <laughs> it's... I don't know. Yeah. It's I, not something that I really think is, like, necessarily... No. I, I'm not super, uh, you know, gung-ho about it, but it was something that I thought about while watching. Oh, sure. And it was definitely inspirational yeah. like, totally i'm gonna throw out a couple more here uh eleni says fire in the sky do you know that one i haven't seen it that's one about the about this guy that gets abducted by aliens it's super freaky it's it's based on like a true based on a true story of and a it's guy. not a horror movie not t- i guess not technically is i mean uh, is close encounters of the third kind a horror movie i guess not it's sci-fi i don't yeah. Sci-fi horror, though. I mean, so, yeah, so I would. It's hard to. I would say it's not <laughs> traditionally horror, but it's definitely scary. Uh, Tony says the original Willy Wonka. Okay, watching older movies like that can sometimes be a little bit weird, yeah, and also sure. it is a little. It's a very bizarre movie if you think about it. But I think that's kind of the point that it is supposed to be a little bit frightening. Yeah, the scene in the Chocolate River. That always yeah. freaked me out as a kid. It's so weird. Uh, Tyler says an inconvenient truth. Yeah. Okay. That's good. <laughs> that should scare you and uh camille says the brave little toaster which is kind really? of i didn't find that i mean there are some parts of it that are scary there are some movies animated kids movies that are pretty scary like fern gully with tim curry as the smog monster yeah. as like pollution yeah. that always gave me the willies i didn't like that and maybe i guess maybe if 
Like anthropomorphic appliances could be scary, <laughs> you know. You'll never see your toaster the same way again. <laughs> yeah, like just sort of side eyeing your kitchenware. <laughs> like, nah, nah. yeah. Are you moving? Well, they're, they're all they're all happy. I think I haven't <laughs> seen the brave... pretty happy. Yeah, they're agreeable little yeah. guys. I think in the brave little toaster, they do get into some like pretty mess up situations. So maybe that's why. But I have not seen. To to be fair, I have not seen the brave little toaster in a very long time. Yeah, that's true. Um. That's true. You haven't. No. <laughs> I haven't either. Turn around. Go. You know what you're doing today? Go watch A Brave Little Toaster. Okay, fine. Christ. All right. I'll get in the car. All right. I think that's going to do it for today. Nice little free talk. Yeah. Um, next week, we're going to be talking. We're going to do a little bit of a Halloween roundtable and just kind of celebrate the, the holiday. I know we've been talking a lot of horror all month. But that's kind of, you know, the thing. But we'll be hopefully bringing back some old friends to talk a little Halloween. But we'll be back with plenty of news, uh, plenty of other great stuff. And, uh, Connor, thanks for chatting today. Always always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Looking forward to next week. Oh. (laughs) You are listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM+. Uh, We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we'll see you next week. 